May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. And I'll be reading this for us today. the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease." But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, so it is my pleasure to introduce to you uh, our guest speaker today. Uh, he is Young Lee, as we mentioned before. Uh, he is our pastoral intern uh, for this uh, school year. And um, yeah, Young is a guy that... Uh, uh, I've, I've just had the privilege of being able to um, work with very closely as a leader uh, in undergrad, a leader in postgrad, as he is now. Um, j just, just a man who I, I think uh, is always trying to grow in Christ. And um, yeah, just uh, I, I'm very excited that uh, you're able to hear from him today. And so uh, just without further ado, if we could just give a warm welcome to Young Lee. Yay. And Young, by the way, uh, th this is probably a pretty bad thing to do when you're, you can come up, but uh, um, I told you the wrong thing about the clicker. <laughs> the, the, this one goes to the next slide. This one goes back. So sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bottom one. Yeah. So again, Young Lee. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Are we all good on sound and stuff? Can we make sure? Okay, cool. So yeah, um, let's pray. Um, 
Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for this opportunity to uh, preach to your people, to your congregation today. Um, there is nothing that I, as a person, Young Lee, have done to merit um, being up on this pulpit, Lord, but it's truly just because of your goodness and grace. Um, I'm reminded of the beginning of Jeremiah when the prophet um, is in a very similar position to speak to your people, Lord. But he says he's afraid and he feels unworthy because of his youth, Father. Um, But may you just use me also as a vessel to speak to your congregation today. I just thank you for this opportunity once again. In your name we pray. Amen. So good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Um, Today we will be continuing in our sermon series, Firm Foundation, and exploring what it means to have Jesus as the cornerstone of our lives. And I'll be specifically addressing exile. And to get started, in July of 2019, my family took a 10-day tour. Excuse me, sorry, can we get the next slide? My family took a 10-day tour of Italy. We stopped by Florence. Sorry, it's not working, the slides. Could you just go through all four? Yeah, that'd be great. Oops. Could you go up one? So it has. Okay, sorry about that. So in July of 2019, my family took a 10-day tour of Italy. We stopped by Florence, Positano, the Amalfi Coast, Rome, and Venice. Um, By the way, I didn't take any of these pictures. They're just Google stock photos. (laughs) But anyways, I particularly enjoyed this trip. realizing the increasing difficulty of matching the schedule of the five of my family members, and also very unpopular opinion, but I think Italian food is overrated. Um, I'd recommend going for the views, but not necessarily the food. I mean, let's be real here. There are only so many iterations of carbs, cheese, and meat before they kind of get old. And during this trip, um, my family didn't use a travel agency, and we planned our own vacation to save on costs. We typically stayed at Airbnbs in the local Italian neighborhoods by um, where the vast majority of Italians did not speak English. And though while I wasn't in exile, I was definitely cognizant of my identity as an outsider. Like a fish out of water, even simple aspects of daily life became difficult, such as navigating the roads. And there were quite a few disgruntled drivers trying to to drive behind my confused dad. I quickly learned that the word idiot in Italian means the same thing, idiota, idiota. But anyways, um, this trip would also cause a future struggle for me, actually. Uh, During this past March, when I had the privilege of attending a Central Asia missions trip, I almost didn't actually make it into Kyrgyzstan because when I got to the customs, they saw my passport and noted that I had been to Italy and South Korea, and if you remember, those were the hotspots of COVID at the time. So perhaps my story of being an outsider in Italy isn't what most of you think when we think of the word exile. But today, I want to define exile simply as a departure from your desired life. Do you ever feel like an exile? Maybe for some of our college folks, you didn't get into your first choice school. Maybe you recently got out of a long-term relationship and are now newly single. Maybe you got fired from a job that you desperately wanted. 
Maybe you are experiencing life after losing a family member or a loved one. Whatever that hardship may be, I believe that we can all relate to the Israelites in some way. And at bare minimum, I'm sure all of us can relate to the recent exile of COVID, if not waiting for America's election results. In today's word, we find the Israelites in literal exile. Sorry, one more. There we go. Okay, according to Merriam-Webster, the definition of exile is the state or a period of forced absence from one's country or home. And for context, Jerusalem is overtaken by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The temple of God is destroyed, and many of the Jewish people are taken into captivity back into Babylon. This is the exact moment that the prophet Jeremiah pens a letter to the exiles. And I also want to say, it's not just by chance that the Jewish people are overtaken by the Babylonians. Rather, this is a God-ordained event that he warns the people through the prophet Jeremiah. And earlier in the book, we find out that it's it's because of the two primary continuous sins of the people of Judah. One, worshiping other idols, and two, forsaking their own oppressed, the widows and the children, individuals who would have had no voice in a patriarchal society like the one of the Israelite people. Can we take a moment to appreciate how they must have felt? Okay, sorry, this thing is just really not working at all. Oh, okay, so this is a Google image I pulled up that shows the journey of the exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. And I believe I wrote up there, but it's about 1,500 kilometers or roughly 700 miles and, you know, Remember, there weren't cars or anything back then, and so it was a multiple day, if not weeks, journey. And so this is a picture of the historical um, Jerusalem, a a rendering of it. Um, And yeah, so for the people of Judah, Jerusalem was more than just their home. It was also a place of cultural significance and meaning. Although we may only associate cities with modern-day life, Jerusalem was not lacking in any sense of the definition either. Historians believe that there were up to 800,000 people living within the walls of the city, complete with its own nuanced customs and vibrant culture. And to add to the spectacle of the city, which is the big building you see in the picture here, the Temple of God sat in all its grandeur and glory at the top of a hill for all to see. And from this place of familiarity, meaning, and comfort, the Jewish people were forced into captivity in a foreign land. So what are Jeremiah's words for those of us in this situation? And by Jeremiah, I mean really God who is speaking through the prophet. just want to warn everyone that his advice may be one we don't want to hear. I know I personally had a hard time receiving these words. So without further ado, let's dive into God's word for today. There we go. Okay. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 9. This, and who is speaking here is Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase In number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. 
Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, and I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So as we see here, you know, there's no cry for rebellion or an inspirational speech. Instead, in essence, what Jeremiah is saying is embrace your season. I want to share of another form of exile that I'm personally experiencing right now. Um, for ever since I was in middle school, my career goal has been to become a physician. And in 2018, after graduating from college, I applied to medical school once after graduating and had an unsuccessful application cycle. And so I decided to take another year to complete another year-long master's program and am now currently in another medical school cycle again. Um, I'm still awaiting results, and I really don't know where I'll be next year or what I'll be doing. And a good a metaphor I came up with is it's like I'm a professional athlete who's just continuously signing these one-year contracts at places, unsure where I'll be playing next season. And to get to this point in my life, I've spent you know roughly 100K and seven years of my time post-high school. And frankly, it's pretty nerve-wracking to figure or to know whether all my efforts will pan out. And whether or not I want to be in this moment, I can't escape it. And honestly, I don't always respond well to this uncertainty. One of the most toxic ways I've found is to spend my time on this forum site, Student Doctor Network. Uh, if you're pre-med, you probably have heard of this site. Uh, basically, SDN, or Student Doctor Network, is a forum for pre-med students to share their perspectives on and experiences with getting into medical school. Although the intention may seem innocent, it's an endless rabbit hole um, full of anxiety. I mean, you can palpably feel people having anxiety attacks about their future as you read through the different threads on this forum, and people asking if they desperately measure up. And personally, as a Christian, I'd like to say that I was more peaceful and secure. However, the reality is I was often just as anxious, if not more. Like the Israelites, I couldn't help but turn to the false prophets in my life. And on a surface level, it was about, you know, just binging on an internet forum. But on that deeper level, I was falling victim to the way of this world telling me that I had to be nervous and scared. In our society today, I believe Exile feels so painful because of the idea of scarcity. Our economy runs on the idea that there are a limited number of resources, and we feel like we're losing out when we don't get our way. So much of our worth is based on how we're performing compared to others, a problem that I feel has exponentially increased in our age of social media. We view those around us as competitors rather than fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and God's own beloved. Um, there's an image I'm reminded of that was seared into my memory this past summer. And it comes to us from St. Louis. And so for those of you who remember, um, during the recent Black Lives Matters protests, there was one couple in St. Louis who made national headlines for pointing guns at peaceful protesters. I believe this image stayed imprinted in my mind because you can witness and sense the palpable fear in that woman's eyes. At this moment, it is clear that she is not captured by a spirit of love, but rather one of utter fear. 
And maybe it would be easy to condemn this couple. But frankly, I think we're actually more alike than we'd like to believe. We'd like to think that we're more gracious and desire the good for others. But when we're afraid, sometimes all we want to do is protect ourselves at all costs. And often, in a society of abundance, we're scared even more because there's more to lose. And we're grasping tightly to hold on to our own built Jerusalems of comfort. So, if not out of fear and greed, then how are we to respond in these periods of exiles? Sorry, can we go back to Jeremiah 4 through 9? Thank you. So I want to focus on verse 7. Jeremiah is saying something very, very profound here. Not only is God asking them to continue their daily lives, he's asking the Israelites and us today to seek the welfare of others because our welfare is interlocked in theirs. Again, one more time. He's asking us and the Israelites to seek the welfare of others because our welfare is interlocked in theirs. In this instance, it's not just seeking the good of some random stranger, but for the Israelites, it's the very people who are oppressing them, the Babylonians. And this passage reminds me of the words of Jesus who once said, sorry, I'm like struggling to get in. Oh, can we go one more? One more? Thank you. In Matthew 5, 43 through 47, and this is Jesus talking, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Seeking the welfare of others does not only mean those we like and those who are similar to us. And I believe this idea rings especially true in our increasingly polarized society that we live in today. And we learn to embrace our season of exile as Christians by actively loving others and turning the attention away from our problems and towards others. Again, we embrace our season of exile as Christians by actively loving others and turning the attention away from ourselves and towards others. To best exemplify this idea, I want to give an example from a group of people who can probably empathize more to the Jewish people than we ever could. I'm sure many of you have learned about South Africa, maybe in a world history class or whatnot, and their history of racial oppression and the system of apartheid. Like the people of Judah, the black South Africans were made to be outsiders. However, in the case of black South Africans, they came to be outsiders in a country that was originally theirs. And one of the key influential figures to fight against apartheid was Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And a key philosophy he often preached was about the Afrikaans' culture of Ubuntu. Why don't we hear from his own words? Let me tell you, we, we have something in, in our African uh, community. 
something that is very difficult to put into English. It is, it is called Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Ubuntu is the essence of being human. And it says, a solitary human being is a contradiction in terms. I can't be a human being on my lonesome. I wouldn't know how to speak as a human being. I wouldn't know how to think as a human being. I wouldn't know how to walk as a human being. I have to learn from other human beings how to be human. And so Ubuntu, Ubuntu says, my humanity is bound up in yours. I am only because you are. And, and we, we then say, a person is a person through other persons. And that we, we, we need this communal harmony if we are going to survive at all. And anger and revenge and bitterness are corrosive of this harmony. And, and you, 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 you know it, you've, you've experienced how when, when you are really angry with someone, it does something to your tum-tum. <laughs> and and, and, and you, it does something to your, to your blood pressure. So, forgiving, forgiving is actually not being altruistic. You are not being nice to the other guy. When you forgive, you are actually being nice to yourself. Forgiving, forgiving, apart from anything else, is good for your health. <laughs> Let me tell you, we, we have something in, in our African... Uh, community something that is very difficult to put into English it is it is called Ubuntu Ubuntu press the whites when they came to power again however rather than responding out of the same system of scarcity Desmond Tutu led to a more unified and abundant South Africa. So maybe some of you are wondering, is this all there is to facing exile? Are we just called to genuinely love other people? The last portion of today's scripture gives us the answer to that question. Can we go to one more? Thank you. Um, these verses from 10 to 11 are often quoted on Instagram as inspirational pictures to remind us of God's love. However, I believe they fail to capture the whole context. Yes, God is good, and he does have a plan for us. And God promises to the Jewish exiles that he's the good shepherd, and he promises that he will never forsake his people in this distant land. In fact, 
God has control of our outer circumstances. This is a bit of a spoiler alert, but for the Israelites, the liberation from the Babylonians actually came in the form of another foreign invader. Cyrus the Great, an emperor from Persia, actually overtook Babylon and allowed the Jewish people to return to their home of Jerusalem. However, of note is that this did not happen until 70 years later. I mean, how many of us in our own brokenness can hardly last a day of exile before we try to run? We can trust God, but we also must realize that he never promised us a trouble-free life. Again, we can trust God, but we must also realize that he never promised a trouble-free life. If easy faith is what you came to look for, I'm afraid you've come to the wrong place. For me personally, I've come to realize that a lot of Christianity is about finding joy in unexpected places. I mean, our greatest hope isn't a symbol that was a Roman torturing device. And if anything, we understand, or we worship, excuse me, we worship a God who understands the most what it means to be an exile. Can we go to the next one, please? All right, thank you. Um, Philippians 2, 6 through 7 says, in a nutshell, that Jesus was the ultimate exile. Who, though he was in the form of God, and this is Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. In many ways, there's a beautiful symmetry of what Jeremiah calls the people of Judah to do and what Jesus actually did for us. Jesus emptied himself out on a cross for people he didn't know and who even hated him. He didn't just wish them well, but sought their genuine Ubuntu welfare. He descended from and gave up his heavenly citizenship to dwell with us sinners in this earthly realm. I pray and hope that we can all do the same as well. In one of the most difficult periods of hardship in the Bible with the destruction of Jerusalem for the Jewish people, and the ensuing exile, comes one of the greatest statements of faith in Lamentations. Go to the next one. Thank you. And this was, you know, very artfully written in the form of a poem. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's love is steadfast, and his mercies are truly new every morning. As I proceed throughout my gap year, I honestly have no idea what this next year holds for me, especially with the whole medical school situation. However, in my brokenness of trying to control my situation, I pray that God grants me the strength to remove my selfishness of fear and allow me to trust him and to serve others. Perhaps this period of exile was necessary for me to remove the idol of medical school in my life. We all face uncertainty, but whatever the outcome, God's plans are greater than ours. In Christ's exile, he worked for our sincere good, free in the confidence of the Father to do so. Can we take a moment to imagine what would our communities look like if everyone was free to love in this manner like Christ? Perhaps we need to reframe our definition of success. I mean, how many times do we assess the performance of organizations based off their best employees. 
What if, instead, we rated them by how well their worst person was doing? We may, we may also need to reframe our view of others. How quickly do we judge people into black or white categories? I mean, in light of the recent election, maybe you have a hard time loving and being gracious to those on the opposite side of the political spectrum. However, what if we stop viewing each other as villains, but rather as broken individuals, all in need of the redemptive grace of Jesus Christ? Oftentimes, loving others will require sacrifice, and whether it is in the form of time, resources, or the death of our own egos. However, Christ made the ultimate sacrifice when he was in exile and he was nailed to that cross. Could I have the praise team come up now, please? I just want to end by saying, uh, if you're currently in a period of exile, or chances are about to undergo one in the future, I want us to take some time to allow God to speak to us in this moment. What might God be asking you to do for the genuine Ubuntu welfare of others? Maybe God is placing someone in your heart right now. Could we take a moment to potentially pray for that person? Is there a way that you might be able to practically bless them this week? Take the time right now to write that down, if so. Or maybe you, like me, are facing a period of exile, and you just need to be reminded of, and really soak and marinate, and be reminded of God's faithfulness. Let's take some time to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there will be inevitably times that we face exile in our lives, Lord. We may feel downcast, sad, depressed, hopeless that we didn't get our way, Father. But like the Jewish people, may we learn to lean into your promise, Father. You promised to never leave us. Now, that may not come in the form of our own desires and plans, Lord, but we trust that you have better for us out there, Lord. And in that meantime, Father, I believe, like you called the people of Judah to through the prophet Jeremiah, may we turn our gaze from ourselves, but to those around us, and ultimately to you. In your name we pray. Amen.